If you'll go to the scripture with me this morning, I'm going to jump right in. And we're going to go to Acts, Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading verses 6 through 11. So over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the in-between. And there were these group of men, these, the disciples, they had been following Jesus, and he's crucified, he's buried, he's resurrected, he shows himself to several people, said it was over 400 people that he showed himself to in the city. And these disciples, they're in this place where they can't go back, but they don't quite know how to move forward. And during this in-between time, Jesus personally comes and connects not only with the 11, but with them individually, and he begins to uh, just speak into some of their concerns, some of the issues that are going on in their life. And it all leads up into this moment that we're going to talk about this morning. He tells them to go to Jerusalem. That's going to be the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, that he's going to pour out on you. But in this conversation, he begins to give them some instructions. And it reads in verse 1, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Sorry, lost my place there. This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it's alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, dividing bone from marrow, soul from spirit. It judges and discerns the thoughts of our hearts. God, we pray this morning that your word would come and would do a work in us, would teach us, would encourage us. God, that it would speak to us. God, you know the place that we're in right now in our lives. We've come, we've gathered together because we need a life-giving word from you. So we pray that you would speak this morning. It's in your name that we ask these things. Amen. So my son and I, we've been following along with the Avengers, with the Marvel series. Have any of you guys been following along with any of the movies, any Avengers fans in here? Okay, a couple in here. So we've been, we didn't read the comics, so we don't know all of, this, all of the stories. 
So we've been piecing things together bit by bit with the movies. So we're beginning to get some understanding of how these characters and their stories play in the bigger story, the bigger role of the, of the movies together. So we were excited when the new movie came out, Avengers The Infinity. Let me make sure I got the name right here. Yeah, The Infinity War. So finally, I'm thinking, yes, we're going to see how all of these stories tie in together. We're going to get some conclusions, some finality to the story. I'm not going to tell you guys how the movie ends for you guys that are worried about it, haven't seen it yet. So we were excited to watch it. So we're sitting and we're watching the movie and it's an amazing movie and, we're, and there's all these, all of the characters in the story come together and it gets to this climatic moment and I'm, and I'm getting ready and I'm like, yes, we're not going to have to go spend money to watch these Avengers movies anymore. This thing is coming to an end. And it wasn't what I expected. The movie, the movie ends and I'm left gazing in the screen. I'm just left like looking in the screen. I'm, I'm amazed at what has happened. But then there's another part of me that's like, okay, <laughs> that just happened. And I'm thinking, like, what's, what's next? And then there's this promise <laughs> of the next Marvel story, the next adventure. And this is where the disciples are at in this moment in the meeting with Jesus. These things have been happening in their life, and they finally they get into this climatic moment, this time what Jesus is about to tell them how all of these things work together, and then they left like gazing into the heavens, wondering what's going on. And then there's a promise that Jesus gives them. He says, stay in Jerusalem, and the promise of the Father is going to come upon you, and you're going to be equipped, you're going to be filled, you're going to be clothed with power. But they're still, they still don't quite understand. The picture still hasn't pulled together for them. But I want to just talk a little bit this morning about this passage of Scripture and what it means for us. So it says, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time, this is key, restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So the disciples had obviously been having conversations about this time, about this moment that was happening, and they had some questions in their heart. After walking with Jesus for years and hearing him say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. After Jesus spending 40 days with them talking about the kingdom of God after his resurrection. The question that comes out of their mouths is not when you're going to restore the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, but it's when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They don't get it. Still with their last time with Jesus, they're still asking about a particular culture group. They're still asking about a group of people. They're asking about themselves. When are you going to restore power to us? When are you going to restore authority to us? When are our people going to come back into rule? 
So they're still thinking about like this political movement where Jesus has come to overthrow the government. But Jesus is not concerned about the government at all. It's an upside down kingdom that he's talking about. And they still haven't got it. So the question is, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? But Jesus doesn't rebuke them for it, but he rebukes them for something else. He rebukes them for time. He rebukes them for time. After they don't get the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, he comes back and he begins to talk about time. And he says, it's not for you to know the time. Time belongs to the Father. Authority of time and when things are going to be restored and how things are going to come into place, you don't have any business in that. But that belongs to the Father himself. Even I myself don't know when the fullness of these things of the earth and man will be restored. That is only for the Father to know. And he digs into them pretty hard. And the reason why is time is connected with people. Our Father wants to make sure that there's enough time for everybody to hear the gospel. He wants to make sure that that everybody hears that there's salvation for you, that everybody hears that there's life for you, that everybody hears that your sins have been paid for, that somebody has stepped in and paid the price for you. And this is connected with time. That's why Jesus says, no, 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 you can't control the time. I am going to give you authority. But time is not for you to know. Time is not for you to control. Time is only for the Father. Listen to what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Time belongs to the Father. And it was so important in this conversation that they understood that. Don't worry about the restoration of kingdoms and those things. But be concerned about what you do in this time period that the Father is giving so people can hear the gospel, so people can hear the good news. Kimberly's mom was with us, Nana T, uh, for about a month she left a couple of weeks ago, and like any good nana or oma or whatever name that you call your, uh, your grandparent, we called them granny when I was growing up. Now they want to be called nana. <laughs> so like any good nana, she loves spoiling her grandkids, which blows my mind. I don't understand this. My parents used to be very strict, but now I see them with our kids, and they let them get away with everything. So before she leaves, she goes to the store and she wants to buy them things that they can play with and enjoy, but she also buys some things that they need. So Caleb needed some new school shoes. This guy, man, is hard on shoes. Give him a month and he'll have a pair of shoes, like, tore up. So she, he needed some proper, good, strong shoes. Uh, so she gets him some shoes. 
And our good friend Caleb leaves them at school. It may have took them like two days, and then he leaves them at school. So they have to switch shoes when they do sports. So for some reason, he comes home, and his mom asks him, Caleb, where are your shoes at, son? And his famous line, I don't know. <laughs> like it's somebody else's responsibility to keep up with his shoes. And so his mom, I see this look in her eyes like she just wants to get him and just like shake him. And then the next morning, I'm in the other room and I hear her tell Caleb as he's getting ready to go to school, she said, you better not come home without those shoes today. And Caleb, the grace of the Lord must have been on him because I was the one who went and picked him up for school. And guess what he did not have? He did not have his shoes. I'm looking at him, I'm like, bro, where are your shoes at? Did you not hear your mom this morning? Like, I'm not going to be able to help you out with this one. So we start going around the school looking for his shoes. We go to his classroom. We go to this area that he was playing in. And then finally we go to Lost and Found. And lo and behold, there are his new shoes. And he grabs them and uh, goes home and everything is fine. But as a father, in this moment, knowing what was going to happen to him, if he came home without those shoes, I wanted to buy him time. If it would have took us two hours looking for those shoes, we would have spent the time. Or we would have grabbed somebody else's. because I don't want to see him punished. Listen, I want you to understand what this says in this verse. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. Listen, understand that. He's not slow. As some count slowness, but is patient toward you. This is why we sing this song, Good, Good Father. This is why we sing the song that we were singing this morning. Man, his love is like reckless. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is the heart of the father for his children. And he's trying to get the disciples to understand in this moment they're like, we ready to rule. We ready to reign. Let's get this thing going. He's like, no, guys. You don't get it. When the kingdom is restored, there will be people who will have to answer to me. And I'm giving them time. The time belongs to me. Then Jesus goes on to say, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus gives the disciples, there's a but in there. <laughs> so he says, I'm not going to give you what you want, but I'm going to give you something else. 
You're going to receive power. You're going to receive the ability, the capacity, the influence to carry out my purposes. So if you think about this time, the disciples felt helpless. They felt powerless. They felt weak. They were in this in-between. The lives were scattered, and they needed to be strengthened. So Jesus is saying something's going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This power that you're going to get, though, is not to control people. It's not to rule over people. It's not to manipulate people. But it's to serve people. And it's to be my witness. I want to equip you. I want to strengthen you to go into these places and you're going to be my witness. You're going to tell them that I'm alive, that death in the grave has been conquered, and that you can have life if you enter into a relationship with me. And I think so many times when we think about the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about here in a couple of weeks, we think of him sometimes as like our personal life coach, like he's there just to just serve our needs, and he does minister to us. He comforts us. He does all of those things. He's a friend. He's a helper. But he distributes the gifts as he sees fit so we can be witnesses and add to the body of Christ so that people will not perish. And he says, I need to equip you guys. I need to give you something that's going to strengthen you so you can go and you can be my witnesses in these areas. So he names four different areas that he wants them to go and to be witnesses in. So these were geographical. There was like some context to what he was saying in the moment, these areas that he wanted them to go to, but they also represented some different things. So the first thing that he mentions is Jerusalem. This is the first area. And Jerusalem represented a place of rejection. So most of the disciples were not from Jerusalem. They were from an area called Galilee, and there's several different cities where a couple of them were from. But they weren't from Jerusalem, the place of peace, the epicenter of faith, this like stronghold of religion. So Jerusalem loved their rituals. They loved their traditions, and they didn't want these things messed up. They loved the law, but they did not want Jesus. They rejected Jesus. So he said, in the first place that I want you to go and start, I'm going to rebirth something new there. I want you to go to your place of rejection. I want you to go to Jerusalem. The second area that he sends him into, he says, I want you to go to is Judea. And that word Judea is short for Judah. So the area, when you go look on a map, it's actually the area that the tribe of Judah actually settled in, in the land that they were allotted. So I'm a, I'm a history buff with the scripture. So there was a time when King Solomon was ruling and everybody was happy. And then he passes away and his son Rehoboam steps in. And Rehoboam wasn't very wise in his leadership. So the kingdom split into two. There was a northern kingdom and then a southern kingdom. And Judea was the southern kingdom. But Judea had a specific culture. They had a specific way of doing things. 
To give you a real-life picture, it will be comparative to the northern suburbs and the southern suburbs. During my time here in Cape Town, people would talk like these are two different worlds. But they're in the same city. But culturally, there are things that are done different. There are different values. There's a different way of life. Jesus is saying, I want you to go witness into this place where culturally things aren't the same as the way that you do them. I want you to go into this place that's been divided, and I want you to bring unity. So first is rejection. Second is into this culturally divided place, and then he says Samaria. I want you to go into this place of racial tension. So Samaria was this, the Samaritans were this group of people that when the Babylonians came in and conquered the Israelites, they took the majority of the Israelites back, but they left a remnant of people. And these people began to mix with the Babylonians and the other cultures around them. So the Samaritans were a, 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 a mixed race. But they felt like that since they were the only ones that were left during this time, that their way was right. We even see Jesus get into a conversation with the woman in the, at the well about where they're supposed to worship it. Your people say that we're supposed to worship here. Your people say we're supposed to worship there. And Jesus corrects her, and he says, it's neither one of these. Those that worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So Jews would actually walk around the area of Samaria. They wouldn't even go through it. There's a time in Scripture when Jesus has his disciples, and he said, we must go through Samaria. So he's telling them, I want you to go be witnesses in a place where there has been racial tension. Where there's a group of people who haven't been given dignity or value or honor or been appreciated. I want you to go into this place and I want you to witness that salvation is for them as well. And in the fourth place, he said, to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth represents the unknown. There's some places I want you to go witness where your feet have never touched. There'll be people with strange lips. They'll speak a language that you don't understand. The foreigners, the outsiders, people that you've never seen, you don't quite understand. He said, I want you to go be witnesses in these places. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when I think about these things that Jesus is talking about, I see them here in the city of Cape Town. What an opportunity that we have. Just like the disciples. To be witnesses in our own city. To move into these things. And the strength of the Holy Spirit and his authority and his power to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says the last thing he said, is, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. 
and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? So now Jesus was flesh and bones. We talked about that last week. But he's appearing and he's disappearing. He's been doing this for 40 days, in and out of conversations, in and out of like locked doors. Jesus is all over the place. But this was the final, it was the final act. It was the final time that Jesus would show himself. And it signaled the end of his earthly ministry and that now he was returning back to his father. Jesus' ascension, it signified his success, that his, that his mission was accomplished, that it was done. Like everything that he set out to do, he did it. It symbolized his exhaustion, his exaltation to the Father, that the Father was honoring him, that he was, he's now in this place of high priest representing this new covenant and that he now is making intercession for us in the same body, the same flesh and bones. Do you know we will see the scars just like the disciples did? The same way he ascended sets the pattern for how he will return. Just as he went out and he was on a cloud, he will come in on a cloud. But the difference would be there were only a few that saw him ascend. But the scripture says every eye will see him when he returns. I want you to think about that for a minute. Not some. Not a collective few. Every eye will see him. Revelations 1 and 7. It said, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So as the disciples, as they're gazing into heaven, there's these two men in white robes, these two angels, and they ask an interesting question. They say, why are you gazing into the heavens? Why are you gazing into the sky? Their eyes have been captured. Here was their friend. Here was their brother. Here was the leader. Here was the savior. And now he's gone. It doesn't even seem like a logical question that these two men in white robes are asking. What else would they be looking at? What else would they be giving their time and their attention to and their gaze and their eyes in this moment? Why would they be looking off somewhere else? So what makes them ask this question? So when we see 
angels in the scripture, and they come in with a message. It's to shift a different way of thinking. It's to usher in a new paradigm. We see it all throughout the scripture. When the angel appeared to Elizabeth, when the angel appeared to Mary, we see it time after time when the angel appeared to Daniel. So there's something that's going on. There's something that he's trying to relay to them. And here's what he's trying to, here's what they're trying to say. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I want to say that again. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. It's a picture, an image that can happen in the church. That we come and we gather and we focus on Jesus and we focus on heaven. But then there are so many people outside. There are so many people who've never heard the message. There are people that are waiting to hear that Jesus is alive. That he's resurrected. And it's in him that we have life. It's in him that our sins have been forgiven. These men, they're trying to get the disciples to get something. Listen. God's calling you. He's inviting you to be his witnesses. There's some responsibility on you. There's some weight on you now. To finish what he started. One day he's going to come back in the same way that he left. And you guys need to be carriers of the message. So what does this look like for us? You can probably picture somebody in your head right now. I know a guy, he can quote a thousand scriptures. But then when I begin to ask him, how are you investing your life into somebody right now? He would say, nobody, no one. Heavenly minded, but no earthly good. Or somebody that goes to church every Sunday, religiously, they're in the doors. They're early, they serve in the church. But then I ask them, do you know your neighbor that stays across the street from you? Oh no, I actually don't know him. You mean you've been staying there for 10, 15 years and you don't know your neighbor? You don't know the needs of your neighbors. You don't even know their names. Heavenly minded, but no earthly good. About how when we come in our churches and we, we just celebrated Easter, Resurrection Sunday, and we come and we worship the Lord and we have an amazing time. But then if we ask ourselves, how many people did we actually share with how the resurrection has impacted our lives? Few to none. Heavenly minded, but no earthly good. 
Jesus this morning is inviting us into the same mission, the same assignment to go and be witnesses in our city, in Jerusalem, in Samaria, in Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Can we say yes? Can we say yes? Man, I want to stand before the Lord one day. And he began to tell me of all the people that are in our company, in our community, because of the way that I live my life. That he would be able to say, man, this person was getting ready to see, like, punishment was living in darkness. But because you and your family came into a restaurant, you were actually enjoying yourself. But you took the time to ask somebody how they were doing and ask them about their day and care for them. That they now standing in our midst. Let's be witnesses, church. Let's share what God has done in our life. Let's tell people that Jesus is alive and that there's hope for them regardless of what's going on in their life, that there's hope. Bow your heads, I want to pray with you. I don't want to rush past this moment too quickly this morning. I think every single one of us in here can have a reason or I would even say like an excuse that would be justifiable about why we don't share, about why we don't witness. But I want us to like wrestle with that. I want us to think about what it means to live our life not just for ourselves, not just for our own well-being, not just for our own happiness, not just for our own family, not just for our own community, not just for our own area. But to let the love of Christ flow in us and out of us. So God, here we are this morning. We thank you that we can come into a space like this and that you would honor us with your presence. God, that you would speak to us. God, we thank you that you know our thoughts, you know our hearts, you know what we're dealing with, you know what we struggle with, but still you stay in pursuit. Still you keep speaking. Still, you keep coming. We thank you for that. God, we need your spirit, the Holy Spirit. 
We need his power. We need his authority to walk in who you called us to be. God, to go into places of rejection, to go into places of, of cultural differences, to go into places, God, where there's been racial strife, people are even afraid to go into these places. But God, you're calling us to go, to go to the ends of the earth, to go to the foreigner, to go to the person who maybe we can't even understand their language, God, but your love transcends language. A cup of kindness leads people to repentance. So help us, God. Strengthen us. We love you. It's in your name that we ask these things. Amen.